With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody, to Destination Draft Day. And, of course... College football season is about to begin, but not all the conferences are going to be in play. And, of course, the NFL is keeping a very, very, very close eye on what's going to happen there with spring college football and whatnot. And we'll be keeping an eye on that. But we're going to welcome you to our first episode of our show. And I am Nick Durst, and I'm joined, of course, by one of the best draft analysis guys in the game, and that is Michael Rochman. Michael. How's it going, everyone? Uh, super excited to be here. Super excited to start the show. Uh, thankful for Chris Landry giving us the opportunity, and I think this is going to be a really special thing. So let's keep it going. So just to give our listeners some background uh, on some of us, uh, I've been working in, in sports for a number of years now. We, we both kind of met uh, where I was working at Bleacher Report. One of the shows I was working on was the draft show, and Michael, who was going by another alias at the time of Phil McRensselberg, who was uh, on his Facebook, because apparently his other Facebook got blocked by Bleacher Report, he would just uh, comment like crazy on every draft show. And he kind of became a star of his own on the show. But, Michael, why don't you tell everybody about that? Uh, yeah, so as a kid, freshman year in college, I immediately would get out of classes and I would, you know, just be ready for the live shows to happen. Uh, getting the chance to talk about the NFL draft. I hadn't really uh, had people that shared that interest with me at the time. So that whole freshman year, I, I came into contact with people at Bleacher Report, commenting a lot on their live videos, uh, talking to a NFL draft discord that I found where I met a lot of great friends and a lot of great people that have helped me expand on my knowledge. And overall, it's just helped me grow as an analyst and hopefully uh, will help me bring better content to you guys as well. So, of course, uh, you know, Michael was absolutely amazing there with his, his comments. And in one show, we were given like a, a first round mock draft or maybe like power rankings for each position. And Michael goes ahead and sends his in. And I was in charge of taking the comments at the time. You got, you got a full screen graphic and you went into yeah. the commenter Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, good times there with uh, Steven Nelson, who's with MLB and NHL Network now. And you, you got all your stuff there on the screen. Uh, so, you know, something you always say, uh, especially on your Twitter, is that the draft season's 24, 24 7, you know, 365 days a year. And, you know, you've done some great articles with LGSports.com and some great mock drafts there. Why don't you tell everybody about, you know, where your love of mock drafting and just college football came into play? And, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. You know, I think I'm probably one of the weirder draft fanatics because I'm a Patriots fan. And one thing about the Patriots is they're always trading away their draft picks. So that was a common disappointment for me was finding myself, you know, hoping on this draft pick and then the Patriots would go ahead and trade away. And as a young kid, you know, it really got me disappointed because I would only look into the first round and just kind of mimic anything I heard from the consensus media. But after a while, uh, just loving the production, loving college football and the NFL so much. I started looking into it deeper, watching film, uh, finding scouts, uh, discussing my takes with them, going on YouTube and watching cuts and being able to assess, you know, that it's not just the first round that makes up the draft, finding mid-round guys and really just having that passion, having a uh, big interest in both levels of the football game. I think it uh, 
thing that helped me a lot into finding my passion, finding out that the NFL draft is something that I loved. So, you know, you mentioned your Patriots. Nobody does a better job with the draft than Bill Belichick. Trading down, getting those compensatory picks or the early second-round picks, he loves those. And, you know, he says that the true value is really there from, like, picks 28 in the first round through, like, 45 or so. Do you agree with that mythology? Oh, 100%. I think a lot of people, in terms of team building, you look for your star players in the first round, but you aren't going to be successful if you aren't getting some key contributors in the mid rounds, whether it's a full-time starter or a rotational piece, you got to find depth in order to manage the money situation of the NFL. If you're not getting starters in the mid rounds, if you're not getting backups that can step in and help your team, then you're going to be struggling for a lot of years. And I think we saw that with, look at the Colts whenever Ryan Grigson was running them. Andrew Luck, completely dominant quarterback prospect, but with no team building ability with that squad, I mean, they were never really able to accomplish much more than making early rounds of playoffs. If they would have drafted better, they probably would have been able to put together a contender, and they probably still have Andrew Luck under center. Andrew Luck, yeah. I mean, definitely the, the offensive line there. I mean, the offensive line wasn't bad in his last year, but his body oh, yeah, they, they worked on it. They got it better, but, you know. Uh, so I mean, Quentin Nelson's part of the best offensive line to come out of the, the 2010s drafts. I think uh, one of the best, so. Yeah, obviously, you know, Michael has a tremendous background with with the mock drafts and whatnot. And, you know, we're looking forward to being with you here every Monday and Friday. And we'll be on at 4 Eastern, 3 Central, 1 Pacific. So make sure you're locked in for that. And we'll be keeping you updated and everything as far as the draft goes. And, of course, touching on the NFL season and keeping you updated and everything else. But... Michael, of course, we got We can't talk the draft without talking about, you know, what's going on right now with COVID nineteen, their impact on football. Uh, a lot of people are concerned. I know today, Big Ten parents uh, held some sort of protest, protest the season being canceled. But that is something where who knows what's going to happen. There. I mean, the Big Ten and Pac twelve they're postponing their seasons, but they already said they're not change it back on that they might go end up having a spring season but with the spring season that really would definitely impact the draft because you might see a lot of players who want to opt out or decide not to play what are your overall thoughts on two of the the power five conferences moving over to spring season and then saying, oh, we're still going to play again next fall. So it's going to be tough with recruiting. It's just crazy. And then also, you got to think about, you know, the, the national championship here. Are we going to end up with, like, four SEC teams? I mean, that would be crazy. Yeah, I mean, college football is not going to be the same at all this year. And while these changes are responsible, we are going to see a lot of impact that isn't going to be fun to watch. Missing out on the Big Ten in terms of talent, and the Pac-12 in terms of talent, and even missing out on conferences that are smaller, not so much uh, in terms of reputation, but still have plenty of talent. The FCS also provides a lot of great football. Uh, I come from a town with an FCS program that was building up. Shout out to the Southern Illinois Salukis. Uh, I know a lot of people here are devastated that they're not going to be having a season, and I think the idea of spring football can only happen if – these other conferences do decide to postpone their season as well. Because if you're trying to run a full season in its own, you have the big 10 versus the pac 12 kind of in the championship. And there's not really much else. I mean, no disrespect to the other mid major teams that are going to be playing in those seasons, but they're probably not going to be at the same caliber in terms of contender. So it runs into that issue. What happens if we do not get a fully aligned season and, I wish I could tell you entirely how much uh, things are going to be looking and just how weird it's going to be. But the thing is, this is uncharted territory, as I'm sure every college has emailed to every student. We've never seen this before, and it's going to be a very wacky situation. It's going to be very interesting. In terms of this season right now, what we know is going to happen in the fall, at least in terms of hopes and official statements, we are going to get some some form of playoff in terms of we're going to get some big 12 teams, some ACC team, and most likely two SEC teams in this playoffs. 
I'm sure the American Athletic Conference would love to be the fourth team in that playoff setting, but we know how much the uh, playoff committee loves the SEC, so I think we're going to get two teams there in that regard. We usually think, get two teams from the SEC anyway. Yeah, we usually have that where it's, it's definitely in contention. So I think uh, this year we're going to be looking at potentially even three if if something like where the Big 12 beats each other up. Right. And we I have mean, we know, we know as long as they go undefeated, Clemson's in, right? For sure, for sure. Alabama's in. Alabama's in. Alabama Most likely – and LSU. Oklahoma or the Big 12 champion will make it. Right. And then we'll probably see, you know, an LSU, a Georgia, Auburn, one of the other whatever, teams. Yeah, that one of the, whatever yeah. team is good. Um, so, you know, like if Alabama has only one loss, they're in guaranteed. Whoever wins the SEC, they're in guaranteed. Uh, and then, you know, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, with the Big 12, they're actually going to be the only league that ha- – they always are the only league that always has, like, their own, you know d- – parity where they play everybody in the division, right? So right. that's interesting. They always have their championship game. And you saw a lot of SEC coaches complaining about the draw as to who the extra SEC opponents were going to be. Because a lot of these teams like Alabama look forward to beating down these you know, mid-majors or D2 teams or you know stuff like that. And what's also going to be interesting is what if you get a scenario where Clemson wins the ACC and, their own, and Notre Dame's only losses to Clemson? Notre Dame is probably getting in to the, to the, the championship as well. But we also haven't heard if there's even going to be a championship this year because the whole idea was, oh, we want to just make everything where you're local, not too much travel, and you don't know what the situation is going to be like come January. Are they going to be able to have these bowl games? I don't think there's going to be any bowl games this year, to be honest with you, unless they just keep them in like their own home stadiums. Uh, it's it's going to be – there's a lot to, to find out, Michael. We'll have to just, you know, stick with it and see what happens. And the season's starting late this year. I think September 12th is the first games. So there's a lot of time between now and then, and things could still change once again. We saw an outbreak this week with Notre Dame. They had to cancel practice. Players got a bunch of positive tests. And, of course, Rutgers had, like, 40 people test positive on their team. Obviously, their season is canceled, but – it, it's a lot a lot could change between now and September 12th. Yeah, it's a very shaky situation. We've seen, I mean, even Notre Dame, they sent all their students home because the university outbroke with numbers of coronavirus cases, COVID-19 spreading wildly still. I think they're going to try to hold off on making a decision in terms of bowl games and the playoff as long as they can. I think most likely as long as nothing crazy happens in terms of a complete rise in numbers i think we're still going to get the playoffs but i could see as long as we're still in this similar state i don't think we're going to get bowl games maybe the uh the major bowl games but other than that we're definitely not getting any of the uh smaller ones like the liberty bowl or anything like that right and you know that could really impact teams such as uh syracuse who's been good as of late because someone wants us to name drop tommy devito here so oh, that's a great you know, while we're on that topic, topic michael what do you think about tommy devito i think he's got a lot of potential i i was hyping him up last off season because he was sharing time with eric dungy at syracuse this season he finally got the full-time starter job he didn't meet expectations sadly you know just another hype train of mine that slightly derailed already but I think there is a lot of arm talent here. He doesn't offer the same frame as some of your other QB stands about 6'2", but he, he's got some potential. And if we if we watch this guy grow this season, he could potentially be one of those risers that we don't really see. What, like what do you, I mean, do you think he compares to your guy who you were really high on, Will Greer? Uh, you, I, Will Greer didn't do too hot in his first season, but give him some time. He's going to grow. Uh, most likely he's going to be like third string for the Panthers. So I'm not sure if he's actually going to grow, but Joe Brady's coming in. Will Greer is about to be the best QB in the league. Find your bed nods, get him as the MVP. It's your guy. All right. Twist oh, 25, 25, 25. Maybe one of your buddies here wants to know thoughts on Joe's draft stock this year. You know, obviously, obviously this guy's talking about Joe Tryon, a great edge from Washington. I think he's pretty solid. Uh, Realistically, I think he's trying to make a joke about Joe Mama, but we're going to talk about Joe Tryon. He, he's a defensive end from Washington. He's very stout. 
pretty good run defender, but he he's still got some growth to do as well. It's it's an impact coming back to COVID nineteen with no college football going on for the Pac twelve guys like Joe Tryon, guys like Justin Fields. At the moment, they don't have anywhere to play, and they don't have any growth to show off to scouts, and that's going to hurt their stock in a little bit of ways because these scouts want to see how they develop from you. Yeah, certainly, as uh, as Michael's connection goes out there. So, you know, a lot of a lot of questions here, such as you know, which players are hurt the most by no fall ball, and we will certainly find out about that when Michael gets back, but. Something that uh, Michael wanted to, to discuss and, you know, we'll go over it. So, obviously, there's a lot, a lot up in the air this year with college football. So, we, of course, want to know, you know, who are the big players to, to keep an eye on. And, obviously, the guy that everybody's eye is going to be on is the presumptive number one pick in the NFL draft. And that is going to be Clemson's Trevor Lawrence and – we need to figure out, you know, our team's going to think for him. Is, it, is he going to take it easy this year, knowing that a lot of players aren't going to be playing? Nobody's going to move up the draft board, such as Joe Burrow. And that, in that case, if that happens, of course, Lawrence will just remain number one. Last year, Sartua was supposed to be the number one pick. He ended up not being the number one pick. And the reason for that was because – uh, Joe Burrow got the chance to play, and he had uh, a tremendous, a tremendous season. Uh, and yeah, Michael. So I was just, I was just saying, like you know, Trevor Lawrence, real old school winning attitude, could be the number one, number one pick. And I was saying he actually benefits by um, some leagues canceling their season because now he's definitely going to be the number one pick, most likely, unless he gets hurt. Last year, Tua was supposed to be number one pick, but Joe Burrow outplayed him. He ended up being the number one pick. So Lawrence, although he you know he wants everybody to play, I think he's not too upset about his draft stock. Yeah, so right, I didn't realize I was muted. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. All right, sorry, we're running into some technical difficulties right now. Sorry about that. Uh, my my original camera source died, so now I'm holding my phone trying to make the most of it. But anyway, yeah, Trevor Lawrence has made a statement, obviously stating that he wants to play, and that's great for the season, and it's great for Trevor Lawrence and everything. I mean, college football, everyone wants it to happen, no, no doubt about that. But the fact is we need to assess whether it's safe for players to be out there playing, whether it's safe for all the travel that will be happening and everything in between. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of draft stock, Trevor Lawrence isn't running into much. And, I mean, I think he would probably be the number one pick most likely. But I think at the same time, without seeing Big Ten play, without seeing Pac-12 play, it takes away the chances that anyone can be that surprise riser at you know QB or any other position. Right, and we'll get to Trevor Lawrence a little bit later, but Joe Calabrese asked a great question here, which is, which players are hurt the most by no fall football? Obviously, it's 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 the, it's the Big Ten guys uh, and the most, I would think, but is there any specific players, Michael, who you think are really going to hurt by this? Oh, uh, yeah, guess, for sure. And juniors, I think especially seniors. Yeah, I think for sure there's some guys out there that you look at them and you think to yourself, like, man, if I could see growth in this next season – then they could be a really good player, like really good prospect-wise. And now they don't have a next season, at least at the moment, unless they were to choose to transfer. I mean, there's still questions about Justin Fields, and even though he looks like a great quarterback, a lot of people want to see him grow as a passer, and we won't get to see that now unless he were to transfer from Ohio State. Uh, some more prospects that come to mind that aren't so much hurt draft – or that are more hurt draft stock-wise than someone like Justin Fields, who most likely will go in the first round anyway – Guys like Jalen Mayfield, who offer a lot of potential at the offensive tackle position, he just declared, so obviously we won't be getting to see him play this season. Uh, coming from Michigan, he won't be playing this season at all, but if if we were to see his growth this season, I think it would have been a lot better for his stock. We probably would have been able to see him as a prospect come out 
And if he were to play a lot better, I think he could go first half of the first round. And now it's going to be a lot of assessing whether he's still worth that pick without seeing a season of play. And I think there's going to be a little bit of bias to anyone that does play to no fault of the players that had their season canceled. But we see it all the time with injuries or suspensions that those guys fall. And while scouts are going to be a little more disciplined in making sure that they don't fall for the guys that we've seen play, if someone has a hot streak of great play, they're probably going to go higher than the guys that we don't see play for an entire year. Right. And uh, I think Brock Lesnar over here, big, big uh, Chris Jericho and Brock Lesnar fan, uh, makes a good point because um, he wants to know about your risers. But like you were just saying, risers are going to be impacted tremendously because some people just aren't going to have the possibility to play. And, you know, SEC sets records every year for most, like, picks. And I think that trend is going to continue just because there's going to be a lot of focus on them. But Glockler's there, wants to know about Christian Barmore. What are your, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Christian Barmore out of Alabama. I think Alabama just has an insane factory-like setting where they just keep bringing out a new defensive lineman that's just going to be elite. And Barmore is no exception. He's got great reactions. He's very stout. He has a great build. Everything you'd want out of a defensive lineman. I think he's best in a 4-3 where he can be one of the bigger guys in in the interior, but he's still able to produce with other guys working on the line with him. He's not going to be your nose tackle type, but he's still a very elite player, and I think he's going to go in the first round assuming we do get a season to watch him play. Certainly. And, of course, the other the other big thing in this week was really just Lane Kiffin coming out and really stating the obvious that the players shouldn't be punished for, for, the, for the Big Ten or Pac-12 canceling their seasons. Players should be able to transfer this year and play this year. That's what he's saying. And I think that kind of makes sense. The NCAA is always so tough with the transfer rules and whatnot. But, you know, if a senior at – Rutgers or, you know, a team that isn't like really usually high profile, right? Because they're, they're, they're losing or whatever, but they're in a big conference. If that senior was really counting on his senior year to make it to the draft, why can't he go and transfer to Tennessee? Yeah. I mean, that's something that really is going to happen. And it's funny you mentioned Tennessee because I was going to bring up that talking point. I think while it is unfair to punish some of these players that the conference decided to postpone the season, it is also kind of unfair to those teams that, well, the players on those teams that have had their season resume. And I think you look at a place like Tennessee where Jarrett Guarantano was enticed to come back to Tennessee, obviously probably offered a chance to at least compete for the job. If someone like Justin Fields or Trey Lance were to come in and transfer there, there's no chance he's getting the job anymore. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Guarantano, but when you look at the elites of college football, elites in terms of prospects, these guys could come in take the job, they'd be promised it. Day one, they would be promised that they would come in as a starting QB. And it's kind of unfair to some of these guys that have been staying at these programs, building their name in these programs, and they're trying for these jobs and trying to get like their last ride at these programs. And now we have this almost superstar free agency type sense where you can recruit from every school in the Big Ten, in the Pac-12, in the FCS, in any school conferences are under the power five and now we're kind of finding it to where you know are these star players going to transfer or are they just going to sit out and either enter the draft or just keep their eligibility that was another thing that just recently been brought out the ncaa made a statement saying everyone would be able to have another year of eligibility this season entirely would not count against it, which is very interesting and will set up some very impressive six-year seniors down the line. There might even be some seventh-year seniors. Yeah, for sure. If you have have some guys who are already in their sixth year, I mean, that's pretty crazy. But I know you think of a guy like uh, Brandon Whedon. He was like 28 when he had a great season in college. He might get a 30-year-old now. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, But – Overall, I mean, lots of lots to digest there, but what what kind of impact could you know COVID nineteen and suspension of some uh, fall seasons have on a roster level with key players also opting out and potential people transferring 
uh, looking to go pro. Because, you know, you might, there might be a kid at Penn State who says, I'm so disgusted with what happened this season. I have no interest in playing anymore. I want to get out of here. I'm going to go play for Baylor or something like that. Oh, for sure. And you got to look at some of these guys that maybe were high recruits, have full intention of trying to get to the NFL, but they haven't really had a chance to play yet. I A name that comes to mind immediately is Seven Banks out of Ohio State. I think he's a tremendous cornerback, but last year he was sitting behind Okuda, Arnett, Sean Wade. He wasn't getting a lot of snaps compared to how talented he probably was. And whether that was because of age or just pure talent level, we don't know for sure. But I think it was mostly due to age and the fact that the other guys had established themselves as great starters at the college football level. So now the question is, does someone like him who potentially could come in and have a great season, declare and be a first-round cornerback in a class that doesn't really have a top-end number one cornerback yet? I mean, there's guys like Caleb Fairley who have already declared, so you could easily pass them if you were to have a great season. So does a guy like Seven Banks decide to transfer and attempt to create a draft stock for himself right away, or does he just wait until the spring and then decide to just come back another year? A lot of these guys that haven't had maybe the opportunity to get their draft stock grown to a point where they need it to be are now having to decide to either stay at their program, probably go up another year in age, and have it held against them once the draft process happens to no fault of their own, but it's still going to be held against them. Or do they go and try to, you know, bet on in, try to make it into the league after one season of play somewhere like, you know, in Alabama, Georgia, something like that, or even a lower school like Vanderbilt or something like that. Absolutely. And we have a question here. Obviously Ohio state won't be playing at least in 2020, but someone has a question for you here about Sean Wade. They want to know, what do you think about him moving outside? Do you think he will handle the change? And if not, how would it affect his stock? And also answer this question, like, how, might it hurt its stock because he might not have the chance to move outside because he won't be playing? Yeah, I think uh, if we do get to see Sean Wade this season, watching what he does in terms of outside, inside, at the cornerback position is going to be huge for him. If he proves to be very good at the position, it's going to show a lot of versatility and it's going to entice a lot of teams that he can be an elite corner no matter where he plays. And that's huge. But obviously, you know, we aren't going to be seeing Ohio State this season. So, well, at least at the moment, there's no plans for it. But apparently Ryan Day and the Ohio State Athletic Director have been talking about potentially trying to move the team and get into another conference. We'll see if it actually happens, though. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of uh, litigation there yeah, with for uh, sure. the Big Ten. Uh and, and, and that'll be that'll be something to to certainly keep an eye on with, with that. But you know, obviously, the bigger the big question is if there is spring football, what does that do about the NFL draft? Are we looking at an NFL draft in June or potentially July? In the next the next day or two, they have the rookie mini camps. How do you see how do you see that plan? Because I think the NFL is keeping a close eye on things because there's no way. The NFL is going to have their draft in April, May. If the if the players are still playing, and you know they're going to want to have the combine if they can. I mean, this year they obviously weren't able to to have the combine, but they they want to do something like that. There's there, there's not going to be those pro days. Uh, so how do you see the NFL draft playing out? I think you know. I believe it's listed that the latest the draft can currently happen is June 2nd, July 2nd, something like that. And obviously, if they change up what the rules are for this, then it could be even later. But at the moment, I think that's definitely uh, the earliest I could see it happening is where the latest is allowed. And while a lot of people may think, oh, well, there's no reason to postpone it until other things change, I think right now we're seeing that whether it's with spring ball or whether it's with the fact that we don't know what's all happening with this uh, pandemic. I mean, there's no really easy way to go about this, but I think putting it back as far as possible where every player can properly be assessed, properly be evaluated can be beneficial for both sides. And I think it'll be interesting to see if it is pushed back and there is a spring league, what happens in terms of stock if someone who had a great season but played in the fall has their stocks sort of fall down because they've had more time to be nitpicked compared to someone who played in March 
and had a great season and really only had like a month of evaluation after that. And then teams are kind of going more based off of the guy who had a hot streak to end it. And he didn't really get as much time to really dig into their film. Right. And looking at the NFL, I mean, no preseason games this year. How many years do you see a sixth round, seventh round pick or undrafted guy make a major impact on a team? That's going to be really tough to see this year. And it's not fair to the players because they're not going to be evaluated properly. And there's going to be a lot of talent out there who are fortunately going to be cut after the extended training camp without any gameplay action. Yeah. And I'm happy that the NFL decided to expand their practice teams and allowing the NFL squads to overall get more of an evaluation on these guys, but no preseason and less time to really showcase what you can do is going to have a huge impact on these guys. You look at the fact that a lot of these players, maybe they wouldn't make it on their original roster, but with a strong preseason, they got signed somewhere else. And that most likely isn't going to happen as much this year. It's really just going to depend on how these evaluations came about. Maybe we see a little bit of connection if maybe the Patriots don't like some or not don't like someone, but they like someone and have to cut them. Maybe the Lions are like, hey, is this guy worth the roster spot? And the Patriots are like, yeah, we'll let you know he is. And it's just going to come down to those connections between the teams. Another thing to keep an eye on here is the XFL version three with The Rock because I could see a lot of players from the Big Ten or the Pac-12 leaving college and they're going to say, you know what, If I'm going to, instead of playing spring ball, let me go get paid to play in the XFL and then I'll be drafted. I mean, there was a bunch of guys from the XFL 2020 who got signed by NFL teams. So that's something to keep an eye on, Michael. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that. I think we could be seeing, if the XFL's back for 2021, people – moving over there for, for instead of having spring ball with the college football team. For sure. And we saw Kenny Robinson apply to the draft as a prospect from the XFL last season. And I mean, obviously there was less film on the guy because of everything that went on. He only had about three games out, but he still got drafted. He showed that he was a competent prospect. And I think if more and more talent goes over there from the college football pool, we could see it for sure. Certainly. So there's a lot of people who, of course, you know, they're worried about the draft stock and whatnot. But there is one guy, Michael, who we just mentioned before, right? There's no worries about his draft stock. And he is Trevor Lawrence. So why don't we have you uh, talk us through here some of Trevor Lawrence's game film. So let's get into it with a player profile. Today we are going to be going over the most talked about prospect of the 2021 NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback from Clemson. He stands 6'6", weighs 220 pounds, very solid frame. You may want to add 5, 10 pounds of muscle, but very well could play at this weight and succeed in the NFL. Let's talk about his strengths, weaknesses, and then a little bit later I'll get you a pro comparison a grade, projected draft range, and some potential landing spots for the young QB. So we look at his strengths. Let's start off with his elite arm talent. So when you look at some of the best QBs in the league, their arm talent plays a key factor in it. And I know that there are QBs who get by without having as strong of arm. I mean, you look at Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, while they're very talented pastors and quarterbacks, they don't have the same type of arm strength as someone like Mahomes. But Trevor Lawrence offers that type of arm strength and he offers the NFL playmaking ability to scramble around in the pocket and create plays. So when you mix that arm strength and ability to roll out, it creates a dynamic QB like Trevor Lawrence, like Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he is Patrick Mahomes. I think that's a very high bar to set. But when you have a QB with comparable traits, that's huge. So why I love his playmaking ability is you look at the fact that the NFL is trending towards needing more mobile quarterbacks in order to expand on their playbooks and elevate what all they can do. So what Trevor Lawrence can do, he can roll to the left, put the ball on the line. He can roll to the right, any gap you give him, it's going to be in there. So this is huge for any team. And most of the younger teams that are going to be picking early in the draft, they're going to have offensive line issues. It's just a common denominator of most early pick teams is that their offensive line is not very great. And while you don't want to just put any rookie QB behind there, if you have someone like Trevor Lawrence who can move around the pocket well, has toughness like he does, it's huge for his success and it's huge for the team going forward. 
Now the last strength I have for him is his processing ability, whether it is taking pressure and keeping composure in the pocket or whether it's reading the defensive coverage. I think one of Trevor Lawrence's best ability is the fact that he puts the ball in some very impressive places. And once he sees any type of window, the ball gets out right away and he's putting it right there on the money. And I think that's one of the most impressive things for any QB. But the fact that this guy's doing it as a true sophomore in college is amazing. And the fact that he gets one more year to prove it and potentially grow in that aspect is scary, frightening for any team that's not going to be getting Trevor Lawrence. Now, when we look at weaknesses, I do have issues with his inconsistent accuracy. Trevor Lawrence will have some times where he tries to go deep and he'll overthrow the ball. And it often will be going near safety or he'll even underthrow the ball sometimes and then give it to the corner. Now, he's not getting picked off as much as maybe he should because of these throws, but it still is a massive issue. And I think that if he doesn't work on it, there will be more and more turnovers at the next level. And as a young quarterback, the more mistakes you make, the more it stunts your confidence and in turn, your development. Another issue I have for Trevor Lawrence is he gets glued on targets. I saw it a lot in the Louisville game where he would look at the seam, keep his eyes on one target and throw it and the safety would come up on the ball. And whether he was making a play on it or not, it was consistently happening to where it was something to notice. Now, trying to find weaknesses in Trevor Lawrence's game is a difficult task. He's a very talented QB. These issues are just something for him to improve on, but it's not a constant thing that happens to where I'm saying he's not as good as he's advertised. Maybe not as good as he's advertised because he's advertised very highly, but he definitely warrants the hype. Now, my last weakness for Trevor Lawrence, and I don't hate it in terms of a toughness aspect, but I do hate it in terms of his longevity in the NFL, and that is he takes way too much contact. This man does not like to slide. He is getting blown up play after play, and he does not care. And, yeah, it's it's probably great in terms of leadership and motivating the guys because you're willing to take any damage you can in order to help the team. But you saw it with Andrew Luck. This guy was taking so much contact, and I don't blame Andrew Luck as much as I blame Colts management in that aspect but it cost him a large portion of his later career. And I don't want to see that happen to Trevor Lawrence. So not only does this team that gets him need to help by bringing in some good protection on the offensive line, get a running back that can pass block, but at the same time, Trevor Lawrence needs to do a better job of avoiding contact so that he can play for years and not just end up on the sidelines. So as I promised before, we'll do a little bit of a pro comparison. Now, let me just say, that these pro comparisons are more just to give you a basis of what these players are capable of doing in terms of skill set. It is not a perfect match ever because every player is their own player. But when I look at Trevor Lawrence, I think in terms of similarities to an NFL player already, I think of the Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Both of these guys have incredible arms. They can roll either way and make throws anywhere on the field. Both have a little bit of issues in terms of inconsistency. But when, they're go- when they get going, both are nearly impossible to stop. And I think that's exactly what is going to entice teams about Trevor Lawrence. So for my grade, I have him as a type one quarterback. And what that means is he's a day one starter with potential to be a franchise QB. And I'm betting on that potential to pay off because Trevor Lawrence has the overall skill set that is dreamed for from your quarterback in today's day and age. So getting that possibility to have a player like that, it's going to be huge for teams, and that's why my projected draft range for him is the first pick. There are some talented quarterbacks, some talented players in this class, but I don't think anyone is going to unseat Trevor Lawrence. So for potential landing spots, I look at teams that are most likely going to be picking number one. Both of these teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Washington football team, both have QBs that warrant some reason to believe in them. Gardner Minshew had an outstanding rookie year. Dwayne Haskins had a very underrated rookie year and with a better team around him could probably be a lot better. Both of these guys though, most likely if their team does not finish outside of the top five will have their jobs on the hot seat. And that is why I believe Trevor Lawrence will fall to one of these teams because they are my bets finishing for the first pick. I put a question mark for my third team because you never truly know who's going to be the first pick of the draft. 
I don't think someone's going to be able to trade up in this year, but whenever you look at these teams, usually whenever the season starts, it's not the same team that just ends up last like usual. Last year, the Dolphins ended up being the Bengals, and they had Andy Dalton, who I think is a solid quarterback. But when things go south, the whole team brings down. The whole team falls down. If you look at a team like the Jets, if Darnold were to get hurt, I think when you look at the the comparison of Trevor Lawrence potentially being a franchise quarterback or hoping that Sam Darnold, A, can stay healthy, B, can recover from the rocky start to his career, maybe not on him, but because of the Jets team, it has been rocky. What what do you go with? I think that the Jets, teams like that, the Jets, the Raiders, and many others are going to be looking at Trevor Lawrence if they end up with that number one pick. So it'll be interesting to see what team ends up with that decision and how many of these teams could potentially go with Trevor Lawrence over who they have now. That's all I got for you today on Trevor Lawrence's profile. Thank you and take care. All right, so Michael, obviously a lot of stuff there. We got a ton, a ton of comments here in, in the in the chat from that. So first one here is Travis, who says him with those big target receivers is just unfair. What do you say to that comment? Where do you think it actually has to do with the receivers, or Oh, I think when you look at the fact that Trevor Lawrence has such great tools as it is, and then you give him guys like Justin Ross and T. Higgins who are able to go up and get these passes very easily, it is kind of unfair. And I I don't think – I'd say even Travis probably knows that it's not just the fact that they're big receivers and Trevor Lawrence just has to toss it up to them, but I think it's the mix of you have a great quarterback like Trevor Lawrence and then you have great wide receivers like T. Higgins, like Justin Ross, like Nagata, who should be a riser this year if Clemson does get to play. And you see a lot of unfair plays in terms of this team is just so talented and have a generational quarterback prospect in there. It's just sometimes it's difficult to watch. Certainly, and I want to thank uh, this commenter here who is loving the stream. Keep it up, fellas. Good stuff. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you very much. Uh, this this guy Travis again. He, he's he, he must not be a, he must not like Trevor Lawrence because he says the bigger sizers. Now he's saying that Tar Heels. Watch out for the Tar Heels moving forward with Mac Brown. Uh, he gave gave him some trouble. Yeah, the Mac is back in UNC, and they showed some great signs this first year. And now coming into year two, Sam Howell in his sophomore season, you have some great receivers there. I think this team is very solid, and, I mean, they proved that, you know, I think the biggest thing for first-year head coaches is having a sort of prove-it game to really establish culture at your new program, wherever you're at. And I think even though it ended up in a loss, getting such a close game with Clemson in your first year when you're really brought in and usually new coaches are believed to, you know, rebuild and reset the culture. And year one, UNC is already competing with Clemson. It's a great sign moving forward for North Carolina. Obviously, in terms of school size and program, I think they could become a really dominant team and great powerhouse if they continue this and continue on recruiting as well as they they have been. North Carolina has no disadvantage in terms of school appeal. It just depends on who you have in the program and how far we can grow it. And I think showing that in the first year is impressive. Travis, another comment here. The Venables D in practice must sharpen him. Yeah, for sure. And when you have a great coaching staff, whether it's on the offensive side or the defensive side, when you have a great roster on both the offensive and defensive side, you're going to grow. And whenever you're throwing against guys like Isaiah Simmons, throwing against guys over the years like Trayvon Mullen, A.J. Terrell, Darion Kendrick, I mean, you have unlimited amount of options that you're going to be playing against, and I think it only helps them get better. Certainly, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Another comment here about breakdown, about the truth, payment, do some crazy stuff with him. Just imagine my NFL teams would do. Would hate to see him face a creative defense type early on. Uh, and then Travis, you know, of course, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, we have this guy who said he loves the comp. Uh, and then 
your buddy here and Mars. Well, Lawrence have to sit two years like Rogers and Elon comes back saying, doubt it, two are just hit so long for rookie contracts now. It worked out great with Patrick Mahomes, but other than that, you really you aren't really really seeing it too too much. Yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is polished enough to where you don't really need to sit him. I think obviously, you know, you want to see him have some early success. As I mentioned in the report, you want to see these guys succeed early because if they start to struggle right away, it could hurt their development. But at the same time, when you have a talented player like Trevor Lawrence, I think you gotta play him right away. Certainly. And Glock Lesnar, the Clemson offense has some weapons for sure. Interesting to see where Etienne ends up. He hopes not the Pats. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that at all. Right. So obviously, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he is a no doubt about it prospect. And I think most people would agree with Levithian here, where Trevor Lawrence is their QB1. No surprise there. But, you know, Michael, we have other stars in the ACC as well. So why don't we why don't we why don't we break down there you know which ACC stars from each position uh, in the conference are the best or those to keep an eye on. So for me I have put a, put together a little graphic for you guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. And we're talking about the top players at each position. At quarterback we just discussed it Trevor Lawrence almost a shoe in there are some definitely uh, very good players at the quarterback position in the ACC, especially guys like Sam Howell who aren't draft eligible. These are only prospects in this list. At running back, like Glock Lesnar mentioned, Travis Etienne is a talented running back, insane speed, insane ability to create plays, and that is ultimately what he's going to do at the NFL level. At the wide receiver position, I I stayed up late making this graphic, and even though it was around 6 a.m., I was sitting there just having this huge internal debate. Do I think it's Tamori and Terry? Do I think it's uh, Daz Newsome? Or do I think it's Sage Surratt? And it was tough. But eventually, I went with Tamori and Terry. I'm sorry to all my UNC and Wake Forest fans. I mean, no disrespect at all. But I, I love Tamori and Terry at wide receiver 6'4". Offers great playmaking ability. I think the fact that he's produced so well with an offense that has had so many issues at the offensive line and at other positions, you know, we don't have to get into it too deep, but I think the fact that he's been able to produce like he has is very impressive for a receiver on an offense that's had so many issues at tight end. I look at Breven Jordan, who is probably the most well-rounded tight end in this class. He's an elite receiver and he has some very good blocking capability. There's guys that are getting hype like Kyle Pitts who are very good, but I think the fact that they don't offer as much in the blocking game puts Breven over them for me. At offensive line, I think the consensus would be Jackson Carmen, offensive tackle out of Clemson. But for me, I'm a huge Zion Johnson fan. I'm staking my claim in the fact that I love this guy. Great offensive guard out of Boston College. Watching A.J. Dillon last year, I just couldn't help but watching Zion Johnson, and it is making me super hyped to see him this season. At defensive line, I love Marvin Wilson. I think he's an incredible defensive tackle. Whether you put him at nose tackle in a 3-4, whether you put him at just 3-tech, 5-tech, I think he is a great pass rusher for his size, and he produced that way as well. He's ultimately one of the stars of college football, and I think defensive tackles don't get enough credit as they are, but this guy is definitely an elite player and should be going in the first round this season. Now, I saw this comment from MLB Rules. Is Gregory Russo pretty much guaranteed as edge one? And I believe that he definitely is. Obviously, there are some issues with his frame, maybe, because he comes in around 6'6 and maybe 235, 245. But this guy is just dominant. And, I mean, you see it on tape, obviously – When you get into an NFL program, you're going to be able to build some muscle. You're going to be able to shape your body a lot better than he currently is. So pure talent alone, NFL teams are going to love this guy. And I think he comes in, whether it's, you know, to 
a team that has struggled in the pass rush or maybe a team that just wants help in that regard because of how talented Russo is. He's a guy that if you're looking at BPA, he still goes very early. Linebacker, we got Chaz Surratt. And as you maybe heard of him last year, he was a prospect, decided to return. He's very well-rounded at North Carolina, got injured, but he's a very talented linebacker. I think in this year's class, there are a lot of talented linebackers all around. But Chaz Surratt is someone that doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. He's very talented, a leader of the North Carolina defense that should eventually work his way up in terms of draft stock. Now, at cornerback, we have Caleb Fairley, who is already declared. There are guys like Darion Kendrick out of Clemson that I'm a big fan of, but Fairley has solidified himself as a great cornerback and the consensus cornerback one in the preseason of this college football season. I think going forward, he should be able to hold on to that spot, but hopefully uh, hopefully he's able to maintain his stock because he's a great cornerback, and even though he's not playing, I think a lot of teams are still going to love what they've seen already from him. Now at safety, we have Hamsa from Florida State. I think this guy is extremely versatile. While there are some questions as to where he plays, I think he overall can play anywhere on the field, and that's one of the biggest appeals now from the strong safety position when you have a guy that can drop down the linebacker off the edge that can play a bit of corner for you and that can play strong safety really play in the box you have to love it and while there are some guys in this acc conference that are very talented i'm a big fan of paris ford out of pittsburgh i think when you look at what hamsa can do in terms of versatility and what he can bring to a defense there's there's no doubt he's an elite talent so, yes, there's questions on him. Uh, we saw Travis mention that. And he says, I think he looks for the part more than actually being the man back there. And I agree that there are some issues still for his game. But I think he proved himself enough on film where you saw it plenty of times where he came out and had a star moment. And a lot of times when you're a raw prospect, you have to base it off of what you see. And you can't do it just on one play but there were enough moments that make me feel comfortable about his projection going forward. In terms of uh, potential other ACC players that I do really like, I had already mentioned the UNC receivers like Daz Newsom, who I think is very talented at the running back position. Uh, UNC has some great running backs at cornerback. I think Darion Kendrick is someone that I already mentioned, but he is very young but has already proved himself to be very talented in the Clemson defense. There's some issues, but I think it's more scheme-based than anything else. A lot of times these Clemson cornerbacks play back pretty far, give away the underneath. Darion Kendrick, it's hard to evaluate some of these cornerbacks whenever they do this, but I think Darion Kendrick is still going to be one of the more loved cornerbacks come season end. So a lot of really good stuff there. Excellent analysis on those, those 10 players. Uh, we have some some other comments here. Glock Lesnar, big fan of the program. Thanks for, for watching, uh, Mr. Y2J over there. Keep an eye on Boston College linebacker Max Richardson as well. He is a dog. What is your – Yeah, I haven't been able to check out Max Richardson as much as I'd like to, but I, I have heard about him a good bit. I think he's very talented from the clips I've seen. And I'd love to be able to evaluate him. I, I'm definitely looking forward to checking him out. I think overall – when you look at Boston College, they usually have these like very solidified great players, and it's very impressive how consistently they are churning players for a program that maybe isn't as high caliber in terms of record every year. But I do think that Max Richardson is another player from Boston College who could establish himself as a great player, go probably round two, round three. His frame isn't where you'd want him to be for a top linebacker, but I think he's still probably got some – Great talent. I'm looking forward to evaluating him. Brevin Jordan, that's Elon's boy. He's, he's a, a boy, a baller. Glad to see you giving him love. Um, obviously, the other, you know, Miami has had some good tight ends. Greg Olson, Jeremy Shockey. So we'll see uh, where, where Jordan ends up uh, in, in the pros. Yeah, I think uh, Jordan – one of the biggest appeals is just the fact that he's able to do it all. And I think a lot of these tight ends, there's there's been a change for the college football level where it's now receiving threats at tight end. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. If it works for your team, it works. But when it comes to prospects, the biggest appeal is going to be, can you do everything I need from my tight end? And as you get to the NFL, tight ends are going to be expected to block a lot more. And I think Breven can do it. He's not, you know, some incredible blocker, but I think he's still very talented to where no team's going to have an issue with him. Certainly, uh, no doubt about that. Glock Lesnar has a, a little player comparison here. What do you think about that? I don't hate it. You know, I think – I feel like it's been so long since I've seen Alden Smith. I'm excited to see him for the Cowboys this year. But uh, I definitely do think Russo could be that level of player. So I'll have to to check and see what I think in terms of straight-on comparison. But I don't hate it at all. So do a barrel roll saying you're still on the Zion Johnson train. Right until the till Elon, as, as he should be. <laughs> Let's go. Travis says Jimmy Smith equals Caleb Farley. You know, I think that's a very uh, good com- com- comparison, I guess. So I think the biggest thing for Jimmy Smith and Caleb Farley, they both maybe didn't offer as much athletically, but still were very solid cornerbacks found ways to produce in other in other ways that weren't dependent on their athleticism. Jimmy Smith, I think, gets underrated a lot because of all the injuries that he's had to go through in his career. If Caleb Fairley can beat Jimmy Smith with no injuries, he's on his way to a great career. So I guess you and Travis have discussed the odd use of Darion. Uh, really should be given the boundary to augment his play. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, Darion is definitely – a project at the cornerback position. This was his first year playing last season. And with some growth, hopefully he's given the boundary. And hopefully as time goes on, he proves more and more why he's a very good cornerback and why Clemson moved him in the first place. Oh, boy. All right. And then we have another comment here. So do a bower roll. He's excited to see Kendrick since he's only played corner for such a short time. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things is Clemson had a lot of turnover at defense last season, and now these guys are getting their second year of experience, and they're continuing to see that turnover just year after year because of the great talent that, that Dabo's been bringing in. But now it's time to see these young guys that are sticking around a bit be able to establish themselves as stars. Kendrick, very inexperienced at the cornerback position, but hopefully we see a growth that allows him to really cement himself as a star player. All right, and last comment for now. Leviathan wants to know, have you heard about or seen the work Tamori and Terry has done this offseason? They added like 15 pounds of muscle. That's impressive to hear. I, I didn't hear about that, actually, but I never really had a big issue with his frame before, so the fact that he's putting on a little bit of weight, as long as he's not losing athleticism, that's great to hear. All right, there you have it. So a lot of people uh, – who some great comments and of course you know to take a look at the at the chart here again uh but overall you know michael that's that's gonna do it for our first show it's been fun and hopefully everyone gets the uh idea here of what they can expect moving forward with our program destination draft day yeah it's been a great first show a little bit of technical difficulties but i'm super excited for the season to come we'll be here every friday and monday Hopefully, we'll continue to get some great comments, and we'll continue to keep this show rolling. Absolutely, no doubt about it. So, uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Durst. And Mike, where can everyone find you? Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at MR underscore NFL Draft. And that's all for us. All right. Thank you very much, Glock Lesnar, for your comments. Uh, Travis, he enjoyed it. And, of course, Elon he was a big fan of this show as well. Uh, we got to thank Chris Landry, who welcomes us to the team. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, and that's going to do it uh, for Michael Rochman, uh, Nick Durst, and this has been Destination Draft Day. Take care, guys. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.